It's the Your Life Live Well podcast with Dr. Kevin Payne. A better way of seeing the life you want to live. Just relax, dude. Smile. You know, it can be pretty infuriating when others order us to relax. In truth, they're probably doing it because they're uncomfortable and at a loss and really don't know what to say. If we're tense and distressed, we probably already know that we need to relax and we don't need a reminder. The title of this episode is Relax with One, Two, Three! Exclamation marks! It's a joke. <laughs> we can't make ourselves relax. And we'll learn why that's the case in just a bit. So relaxing is especially difficult when we're living with a system that is already, always distressed and threatened by a chronic health condition. We just have this great big ginormous source of threat plunked right down in the middle of our system with us. In this episode, we're going to figure out how to relax, even in the face of, of something kind of awful, and we're going to learn what we can do about relaxing, even though, ironically, we cannot make ourselves relaxed. So if you enjoy this episode, I do just want to remind you that I would really appreciate it if you would drop us five stars and a nice little review. Just take a minute of your time, and thank you so much. So Americans suck at relaxing. <laughs> the rest of the world looks at us sort of like we're crazy, <laughs> for many reasons, but this is one. You know, the English have, they have afternoon tea. And when I moved to England as, as a young man, that was such a, a different attitude to have to wrap my mind around. You know, just knowing that at 3 or 4 o'clock in the afternoon, things were going to shut down and everyone was going to relax and have their tea and bickies. So they do that. The Spanish and most Mediterranean cultures have a siesta. And, you know, in, in many countries, in Italy, for example, you know, sometime in the middle afternoon, they may knock off and they may not get back to work until evening. And then they'll work for a while and they'll have a late dinner and, and so forth. And this is much more typical of the schedule that the rest of the world operates on. And Americans... <laughs> Bless our hearts, we just cannot trip to the fact that this is a pretty darn good idea. So why do we have such a difficult time doing something as simple as relaxing? So on the one hand, we need to change our culture, right? And, and, and this is, by the way, one reason that I am personally hopeful for the future, there are a lot of people out there who are, you know, older and it's, and it's, and it's like that, that old curmudgeonly get off my lawn, sonny, kind of attitude where they, they get down on millennials and Generation Z. And of course, you know, the oldest millennials are almost 40 now, so they're not kids. But those generations have 
And I think we're especially seeing this as we're beginning to come out of the torpor that the pandemic induced in our world, and we're starting to re-engage with the world more. Those generations have a more healthy attitude, on average, to work. And this idea that you should work to live and not live to work. Culture is really important. Unfortunately, with one little podcast, I can't do much about changing the culture. But we can talk about things you can do in your own life. And maybe you'll be a good example and, and spread that influence and, and we can change the culture from the bottom up. So there are all kinds of ways to relax. I skydive to relax. And most people don't see this as a relaxing activity. But as you'll see as we go through, it's got a lot of characteristics of a relaxing activity. It's out in nature. Screaming through the sky at 120 to 200 miles an hour is about as authentically in nature as you can possibly get. Many people find dreams of flight relaxing. And, and that's a common theme. It's a common trope. And so actually getting out there and really flying through the sky is actually pretty relaxing. When you're in free fall, there's all kinds of white noise around you. So it's like just being in a white noise machine with all the wind. And then when you open that canopy and you're flying your parachute, it suddenly becomes quiet and peaceful. And you're just going with the wind. And so the fact that I find this relaxing, and most of you listening probably are dealing with some degree of horrified expression on your face, that says something really important about relaxation. Relaxation is in how you experience it. Different people are going to find different things relaxing, and that's okay. In this podcast episode, we want to talk about how you can recognize the things that are going to be relaxing to you and put them in their places in your life. So in previous episodes, we've talked about the, I'm doing my air quote fingers here, fight or flight response. And, and, and we talked about how it's really seven or eight Fs and there's a lot going on there and that's this acute stress response. And our sympathetic nervous system, and sympathetic, you know, in sympathetic nervous system from the Greek is literally with feeling, okay? So it's, it's, it's bringing up a lot of heightened, strong emotions that are motivating you and urging you to do something now, right? And that's a really important system, and it's ramping us up with strong motivation for action. And it's our body's natural reaction to a perceived stressor or challenge or threat. But we can't live like that all the time. And if we're trying to work and accomplish and achieve and do stuff and just get stuff done all the time, then we're defeating ourselves. When we do that, because 
we got to relax sometimes. And, and relaxation is doing some really important things in our system. So we can't live this way all the time, especially, especially we live that way too much with the ongoing distress and threat of a chronic health condition. So you have all of the other stresses and all of the other threats that everybody else has in your life, and you've got this other big thing that is increasing your baseline of distress. But we have to counterbalance that fight-or-flight sympathetic nervous system. And to do that, we've each got a rest-and-digest parasympathetic nervous system. And the para in ancient Greek has a lot of different relational meanings. They're all about how you relate to one thing or another, like around or alongside, or in this case, against. Because the whole point of the parasympathetic nervous system is to undo everything that the sympathetic nervous system just did. It's to ratchet you back to a relaxed, aware, alert baseline and then, depending on your circumstances, you can either go down into rest and then sleep, or you can go back up into another challenge. This parasympathetic nervous system is supposed to get us in the state that we're supposed to be in most of the time. So it's undoing everything that the sympathetic nervous system did by ramping us up. And, and if we focus all the time on getting things done, we deny this other essential half of that cycle. And it is a cycle. It's, it's, it's like a sine wave, right? We're, we're going up and then we're coming back down and up and back down. And relaxing, resting, and sleeping are essential. They're things we need. They're where our bodies, brains, and minds recuperate, consolidate, and grow. And that's really crucial, because if we don't spend that time, we don't have a chance to recover from all of the wear and tear of the day. And we don't have an opportunity to reflect and consolidate in our brain the things that we've learned from that day. And we don't have an opportunity to slip down into good sleep. And I refer you back to our previous episode on sleep so that you can learn about some of the really crucial things sleep is doing in your life. But this relaxation, this engaging our parasympathetic nervous system is crucial as a gateway to all those other things. And it's a valuable life experience in itself. So, after the break, we're going to talk a little bit about what happens to us when we relax. We all have challenges. Mine is multiple sclerosis. We each have this one life. We didn't choose to be saddled with chronic illness, but there's a better way. So I choose to just jump, and you can too. 
It's your life. Live it well. JustJump.life It's the Your Life Lived Well podcast. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. We're pondering the $64,000 question, why can't I relax? Now I know, that's one of those that, that is truly a million or a billion dollar question. And, and let me just open by saying one key thing here, and that is you can't force relaxation. I'll say that one more time. You can't force relaxation. Now let's unpack why. Even though you can't force it, what you have to do is open the door, make it feel welcome, and allow it to come in. Think of it as a cute, skittish little puppy. Okay? You can't force it to do anything. But you can make it welcome. And if I can engage in a little further bit of personification, relaxation is shy. Really shy. Relaxation is a little self-conscious. Because it knows it's not about getting anything done. But paradoxically, it also knows that it allows you to get out of your own way. It allows you to get out of the way of yourself so that your body and your brain and your mind can do what they need to do to look after you. And that's really crucial. As I said before, relaxing, resting, and sleeping are essential. They're where our bodies, brains, and minds recuperate, consolidate, and grow. And we'll circle back around to that at the end of this segment. But I'll give you the first reason here why you can't relax, and that is you're not doing relaxing things. So, how do we not relax? Okay, so any screen time. Screen time. TV, video games, your phone, any app. These are purposefully designed to be exciting and addicting. To keep your eyes glued on whatever it is you're doing. They're trying to dominate your attention economy. That's how they make money. And bless their hearts, that's great. That's what they do. And I, I wouldn't begrudge anyone a good living. But if you want to relax, get your nose out of a screen. And this is especially true about watching the, and here are my air quote fingers again, the news. News in pretty much any form, unless you're actually reading like the raw AP feed, where, where it really is just the facts, ma'am, 
in that Joe Friday sort of way, then the news is designed just like any other TV, video game, screen experience to be engaging and exciting and addicting. And so anytime you spend in front of, you know, with your sensory apparatus absorbed in this artificial heightened reality, that's not relaxing. So why else are you not able to relax? Well, another unrelaxing thing that you're doing is you're ruminating, you're engaging in social isolation, you are being avoidant. So you are worrying about all the stuff that you're not doing by yourself. There are three things there that you need to do then instead. Spend some time with other people, not with like the drama factory people, <laughs> but with but with people who are manufacturing something that is not so exciting, <laughs> okay? So, avoid the drama factories, but don't be socially isolated as well. And don't be avoidant. And that's a whole other episode. And if you are ruminating on these negative things, then you need to put something else in your field of attention that is positive, that is creative, that is generative, right? So why else can't you relax? Uh, well, you know, if you're, if you're engaging in gossipy conversation with those drama factory people, social media vulturing, right? And we're engaging in all this social comparison. And, and when we engage in social media, we have what's called the online disinhibition effect that goes on. And many of us will say some things when we're tippy-typing on a screen without all of those paralinguistic and non-linguistic cues and without having someone being right there in your face, we will say some pretty negative, ill-considered things that we wouldn't normally say. So, don't engage in that kind of social or parasocial interaction. There's a whole other category of things that we do that doesn't relax us. Sleeping too much. Sleeping too much. Now, remember, we all have our own amount of sleep that we need. And some people naturally need 8-10 hours of sleep. That's fine. But for everybody, when you go too far over the amount of sleep that you're actually needing in the moment, uh, you can wake up groggy and distressed and, and uh, feel guilty because, you know, now you're anxious that there are all these other things that you need to do and you can't relax, right? Eating comfort food. It's another thing that we do to 
to try to comfort ourselves, but then with every spoon of ice cream, you're berating yourself for what you're eating, and and you're just, and you're not even having a good experience with it. So, I mean, by all means, food is a wonderful, joyful thing that we can experience and that we can experience together. But... If we're just mindlessly eating the comfort food, we're not even really fully engaging in the experience that we're having. You know, and then related to this, we've got alcohol or recreational drugs. And alcohol is not your friend. Now, I'm not saying, you know, if you want to have a drink with your friends, that's fine. When you are drinking to self-medicate, when you are drinking to narcotize, when you are drinking to numb yourself, then those aren't relaxing. Another reason that we are not relaxing is you're engaging in task-oriented behaviors. And you are dissatisfied or frustrated, you know, by definition, when we are trying to get something done. And, and, and really this goes to the, we can't spend all of our time on task-oriented behaviors. We all have tasks that we need to accomplish. That's fine. When you're doing it, do it. When you're not doing it, don't do it. See what I mean? We don't want to do the halfway job by not focusing on the task to begin with, and then it takes five times as long and you don't do it as well. And then if we didn't do it well, the time after it's done, now we're reflecting on how we could have done it well. So my point here is, when you're doing something, even if that something is nothing, do what you're doing. By definition, if you are engaged in a task-oriented behavior, you're wanting to change the world. You're wanting to change something about the world. You are dissatisfied. You are frustrated. By definition, this is not a relaxed state of mind or emotion. If you're trying to multitask, if you are living to work, not working to live, you know, you're not making space in your life for relaxation. If you're equating work with self-worth, that way lies madness. Because we can't allow ourselves to be defined only by what we produce. You will never be satisfied with yourself if that's the way you define it. Now, I'm not saying don't take some pride in your accomplishments. That's important too. But don't make your work, your sole or even primary source of your self-worth. You are worth so much more than that. In fact, try a little experiment here. If, if this is one way that gets in the way of your relaxation, let something slide. No, really. You got, you got a, a, a deadline and, and stuff and it's got to be done. Don't do it. You know what you're going to find out? You're going to find out that 
90, probably 95% of the imperative deadlines that you must face or the world is going to end are not, in fact, world-ending. And everything's still going to keep going. And the A number one reason why you can't relax is because you've never learned to relax. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things. It, and it, and I, oh, I find this a little frustrating. We all think that naturally, out of the box, we should know how to do all these human things. And we don't. And no one's taught us. And... Most of what we've been exposed to in our lives are other people doing a half-assed job at their human tasks. And we think, oh, okay, that's what it's supposed to be like. And it's like, no, that's not what it's supposed to be like. You've never learned to relax. Humans have to learn everything. And then, once we've learned it, we have to practice it to keep our skill level. Full stop. Everything. If you want to be in a good relationship, you have to learn how to be in a good relationship. And you have to keep practicing being in a good relationship. And if you don't, entropy takes over. So remember, beyond all of this, the A number one reason why you can't relax is because the acute stress response generated by our sympathetic nervous system and our fear responses and our sense of threat takes precedence over all of this warm, comforting, relaxing stuff that the parasympathetic nervous system is trying to do. It takes precedence because... The sympathetic nervous system is about saving you. And it will hijack your system at the slightest sense of challenge or threat. The parasympathetic nervous system cannot engage until the sympathetic nervous system feels like its work has been done for now. They can't both operate together. And when you put them in conflict with one another, the parasympathetic nervous system, your rest and digest response, your relaxation response will lose every time because it doesn't have the imperative of survival in big flaming capital letters behind it. And I'll let you think about that while we take a quick break. I'm Dr. Kevin Payne. Just jump with me into your life lived well. Half of us now live with chronic illness. Mine is multiple sclerosis. It's your life. Live it well. A chronic diagnosis doesn't mean goodbye to the good life you wanted. You don't have to feel overwhelmed or hopeless. I'll show you how to save yourself. Take your first step at JustJump.life. It's the Your Life Lived Well podcast. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. And now, in the next few minutes, we're going to learn how to relax. 
Okay. Relaxation is really simple. But that's why it's so difficult. We can get caught up in what's called metacognition, thinking about our thinking, right? And so we get caught up in the metacognition about how we're failing to relax. And the more we do that, the more we feel threat, and the less likely your sympathetic nervous system is to allow itself to disengage. If we want to truly relax, we have to open up and allow it to take the space that we offer of its own accord. It's that little skittish puppy that we're talking about. Soft and cuddly, but it's wiggly, and it's shy, and it's a little uncertain, and it's not going to go in and take that place unless it's big, scary, spiky, older sibling. The sympathetic nervous system gets out of the way. It's just not going to happen. So, if we want to relax, we have to do relaxing things first and become patient and allow the relaxation to appear. We can't force it. Sometimes you'll do the relaxing thing and you won't have the relaxation response. That's okay. You didn't open that space up enough for it to step in. That's all that happened. So go off and do something else and then try it again later. If you are always stressed, even with good stress, even with you stress, right, then it takes time to make the space for that switchover to occur. It just really does. Now, I'm not going to go into meditation as a technique here because I've already done a couple episodes on it. And even so, meditation can seem like it's big and daunting and scary and like it's a major thing that you're doing. Although if you think that, go back and listen to those previous episodes and I, I hope to disabuse you of that notion because it's really not. But if we want to relax, first we can't let our anxiety get in the way. And one of the ways that we can practice that, because many, many, many of us have real challenges in our lives with anxiety, which is that future-directed fear, right? And it's engaging that acute stress response. It's engaging that sympathetic nervous system. So one of the best ways that we can deal with anxiety is through what's called exposure therapy, okay? And and that's where you you carefully and and in controlled circumstances expose yourself to a little bit of the thing that is giving you anxiety and you know like for me i was i, I was uh, tired of dealing with fear itself so i just decided to jump out of an airplane 500 times to get over it and it's a pretty good way to do it but that is exposure therapy now that's an extreme form but you know, again, as I suggested, let something small slide and see that it works out okay on the other side. And what you're doing is you're teaching yourself that it's okay to make a space in your life for nothing. And we've got to learn that. Once we're committed to making these spaces in our life, 
for the relaxation response to show up and engage with us, there are a few things that we can do. And again, you know, I'm going to give you some suggestions here, and all of these will work for someone, but only some of them will work for you. And I don't have you in front of me to evaluate you and, and assess you and, and make those kinds of determination. Um, that's what, you know, our technology does. But you just need to pick something and try it. And don't just try it once. Try it a few times. Because, again, you're learning, you're building, right? You're growing. And, and you're growing the space for you to relax in. So the very, 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 very first thing probably is to just breathe. People think that, that the suggestion to breathe is just stupid because it's something we're doing all the time and it's something that you're doing all the time and you're still not relaxed, so how on earth can it help? You've got to breathe the right way. Breath is our foundational rhythm. As living creatures, breath is our foundational rhythm. And so what we're talking about here is what's sometimes called diaphragmatic breathing from the diaphragm, belly breathing, right? You can just pause and place your hand on your belly and close your eyes and just breathe in deeply. Hold slightly, and then let it out. Take about five or six breaths, just a minute of breathing. And it really is a great thing to do because the parasympathetic nervous system is directly engaged by diaphragmatic breathing. So it's one way to kind of shortcut making that space available. There's another set of things that you might want to do. We'll call these getting into your body. Okay? So, progressive relaxation. So, you're, say, starting out at your extremities, maybe with your toes and or your feet, and you tense and relax one muscle group. And then maybe your calves. And then your legs. And, and so forth. And you can you can go through your whole body in you know, a minute or two, and just tense and relax. And once you practice this sometimes, then it's another good way, backed by a lot of research, to induce opening that space for the relaxation response to enter. Another way you can get into your body, visualize calm. <laughs> and I know it sounds silly again, but... Close your eyes and visualize your happy place. Whatever it is. This is called guided imagery. And you're just going to take yourself on a little tour of it. And, and you're not just going to see it. You're going to try to hear it. And you're going to try to feel it and smell. All those things. You, you want to engage all of your senses as you're doing this. Why? Because you're filling all your senses with the happy, calm feedback that's replacing whatever it is that's being stressful and, and engaging your sympathetic nervous system.
So visualize calm, immerse yourself into it. And again, you know, the first few times you do this, it's not going to be real effective because, again, humans have to learn stuff and we got to practice it. So many of us have not visualized a lot. And so you, we got to practice. Uh, other ways to do this are something like yoga or tai chi or stretching, any kind of slow, ritual, rhythmic movements. Okay? So that's, you know, that's another important thing. Or you can listen to music. Again, you know, that, that slow, ritual, rhythmic, right? It's got that... that relaxing feeling to it. You can massage. Even yourself, you can massage your hands. Take some hand lotion and just systematically massage the lotion into your hands. Or take off your shoes and and a tennis ball and, and just run the tennis ball kind of firmly, slowly, rhythmically along the bottom of your feet. Take a warm bath. The similarity here is you're filling your senses with things that are calming, things that are soothing, things that are natural, things that are rhythmic, things that are slower. That's what you're doing. And, of course, you know, this brings us to a next category, get into nature. There are a lot of reasons why most of us find nature relaxing. There's the sunlight, the wind, the microbes. I mean, people give all kinds of reasons for it. I'll give you one you've probably never heard before. And I think this is true. I do not have a study to back this up one of these days. I may do this to see if I'm full of it or not. But I think we can take a cue from Charles Sanders' purse in semiotics. C.S. Peirce, it's spelled P-I-E-R-C-E, that's how he spelled his name, but he was from a, a well-to-do Boston Brahmin family, and they pronounced it Peirce. So uh, he was uh, an important American philosopher, and he developed this thing called semiotics, and it's, it, it's a part of philosophy and linguistics, and, and here's a really interesting insight. Why are natural surroundings more calming than our artificially created world? And here's what Peirce would probably say about it if he were around and asked this question. At least I'd like to think so. Nature, so, so everything in our, in our environment is not just the thing, but they are signs that are carrying messages. Okay? So... Some of them are really obvious, like advertisements and things like that. But there are messages and associations with everything. There are multiple kinds of these signs, but I'll give you two. One is called an icon, and the other is called a symbol. So an icon is a direct representation of the thing. So if you see a fire, there's no added cognitive level of work or interpretation that's necessary. You don't have to process it in the same level as words. Okay? So, manufactured human environments tend to be full of symbols. 
which have to which, which have arbitrary meanings that we have to look up and we have to process. Nature doesn't. So when we are out in nature, we are removing this massive layer of extra cognitive burden when we experience it. And that's really cool. So get out into nature. Get into something creative. Whatever it is, something that is not competitive. It's not about doing something perfect. It's not about producing something great. It's just about expressing yourself. That is so crucial. And we can feel relaxed as we're doing that, as we have the product of our expression in front of us. Get the stressful things out. So writing, journaling, exercise, some kind of physical work, a hobby or decluttering. It just can't be complex. It can't be complicated. It can't be something that we're requiring to think a lot because what we're trying to do fundamentally is slow, ritual, rhythmic, right? Something that is rather mindless. And of course, one of the best expressions of that, dance. We're getting into our body. We're getting into movement. You know, you can play nonsense quick games with yourself. Look around in your environment and and find the first, you know, games like you play with your kids. You know, we'd play kid, I'd play games with my kids uh, when we were little and we were in a waiting room and and... So we're like, look around and find something that starts with the letter A, then the letter B, then the letter C. Or close your eyes, you know, start with what do you see and just observe what you see. Then close your eyes and what do you feel? What do you hear? What you're doing is you're allowing your senses to take over and disconnect, short circuit some of the negative cognition that's going on. Say your ABC's backward. I mean, you know, there are all kinds of alternatives here. Another thing you can do is break your routine in a safe way. So if your routines are the things that are getting you down, okay, if you're not finding them fulfilling and comforting, then divorce yourself from your existing demands, rituals, and patterns if they are becoming onerous or controlling, just go out and do something else. Eat at a different place for lunch. Something little. And observe and, you know, enjoy the experience. Fundamentally, what we're getting at here is do quiet, soothing things. These enhance the feelings of safety and control and familiarity and being close to positive things with positive valuations in your life and exposing you to low but not no demand activities. Because no demand, then you become bored and, you know, it's bad. Or you can be like me, you can go jump out of an airplane to relax. <laughs> I Totally, hit me up if you want to. In reality here, the last thing I'm going to leave you with is... Don't feel guilty about relaxing. And many of us, we start out trying to relax with the best of intentions, and then we feel guilty. And when we feel guilty, that's going to re-engage our sympathetic nervous system, and 
it's going to spiral out of control and we're not going to get it done. So, today, I want to thank you for spending some time with me. I hope you've learned something about how to relax in your own life, and I want you to put that into action today. So go out and relax, and then on social media, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, that's your LL Well, let me know what you did to relax, and let's share our solutions with one another. So go forth, be well, do well, and do good. If you've enjoyed today's topic and want to join the conversation with Dr. Kevin Payne, find Your Life Lived Well on all of your favorite social media sites, Patreon, and of course, yourlifelivedwell.co.